all you have. You are now tuned in to Parker Swayze. So just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, fellow Star Wars nerds? How's everyone on this beautiful day in June? I was just reading an article that said that it might be the hottest summer on record in history. I certainly hope not. I'm outside most of the day for my work, and I don't know if I could deal with the heat. I'm not as young as I used to be. I used to live in Denver, and it is dry in Colorado. Now I live in Missouri, and the humidity is killing me. I swear my sweat be sweating. When you can see the air because of the humidity, you know that it's hot. Okay, enough of all that. We need to get to the quote and the book. And the quote for today is brought to us by Lloyd Alexander. He said fantasy is hardly an escape from reality. It's a way of understanding it. I thought this quote fit Star Wars and this show very well. We watch, listen, and enjoy Star Wars as a way of escaping everyday life. At least I do. I enjoy space travel, lightsabers, and the storyline that goes along with Star Wars. But as I got older, I also found the way that it relates to everyday life. It shows us how to be courageous, compassionate, and patient. But the best lesson I have learned from Star Wars is that there's always hope. As long as we have hope, we have all that we need, especially with the way things are going on in the world today. We need hope. We have to have hope. Okay, enough with all that. Let's get to Revan. Because we are at a turning point in this book right now. Revan has had a vision of Mitra coming to rescue him. Scourge is angry at Revan, and T3 and Mitra are trying to find Revan. There's a lot going on, so let's find out what happens. Mitra fought to keep the Ebon Hawk steady on its descent through the fierce storms raging in the skies above Koss City spaceport. She knew the storm-ravaged world had to be the world Candorus had spoken of, the one Revan had seen in his dreams. The dark side was powerful here. It was strong enough to send a shiver down her spine. But the sensation was infinitely better than the awful nothingness of Nathema. As she brought the ship in to land, she knew with a sudden and unshakable certainty that Revan was somewhere on this world. He's here, T3, she informed her companion, trying to contain her excitement. I can feel it. The droid beeped eagerly. It won't be that easy, she replied. I'll need to scout around a bit, get a feel for this world. The droid whistled apprehensively. Just stay close and follow my lead, she told him. We'll be fine. A few minutes later, she had successfully settled the hawk on one of the spaceport's many landing paths. Nobody here knows I'm a Jedi, she reminded her astromech companion just before they descended the boarding ramp. Let's try to keep it that way. Her lightsaber was tucked safely out of sight, and she had changed from her brown robes into black pants and a sleeveless red top. It was unlikely anyone here would recognize the traditional outfit of the Jedi Order, but she wasn't taking any chances. A customs official was waiting for them outside the ship, a middle-aged human female. The fact that humans could hold official government positions was a good sign. They were obviously common enough on Dromund Koss that she wouldn't automatically draw attention here because of her species. Your vessel is unregistered, the woman told her in basic, her voice simultaneously accusing and bored. You'll have to come with me. Mitra wasn't surprised to be greeted in a familiar language. The Sith had once been an empire controlling multiple worlds, cultures, and societies. Naturally, they would fall back on a common language and Basic was by far the simplest and most widespread choice. I like to keep my comings and goings off the record, she replied. That can be arranged, the woman said with a quick glance to make sure there was nobody within earshot. 
Naturally, we charge a fee for that kind of premium service. Mitra had no idea what kind of currency was used on Drummond costs, but she highly doubted they'd take Republic credits. I converted my funds into something a little easier to carry, she explained, holding up a small but perfectly cut diamond. The customs official's eyes lit up as she stared at the valuable gemstone. If you keep my arrival off the record, I'll make sure you're rewarded once I turn these into something a little easier to spend, Mitra promised. The woman's eyes narrowed suspiciously. I have a strict payment upfront policy, she said. Maybe you could make an exception this one time, seeing as how we're both human, Mitra suggested, reaching out with the force to give the woman's psyche a gentle nudge. I guess I could make an exception this one time, the woman said with an affable shrug, seeing as how we're both human. I knew we could work something out. Mitra replied with a smile. Now, I don't suppose you'd know the name of someone in the city who'd give me a fair price for my stones. Larvich of Estbet, the other woman told her. He drives a hard bargain, but he won't try to cheat you. Let me give you the directions. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Mitra decided to walk to Larvitz's store rather than hire a speeder. Wandering the streets of Cost City on foot would give her a better feel for the planet and its people, making it easier to fit in. The population seemed to be primarily made up of the red-skinned Sith and humans, all dressed in standardized uniforms or military garb. She noticed a handful of Zabrak and Twi'leks. Unlike the Sith and humans, they did not wear uniforms, and without exception, they were all fitted with shock collars. For the start, Mitra realized that the unfortunate slaves were likely descended from prisoners who'd been taken by Sith a thousand years earlier during the Great Hyperspace War. The directions the customs official had given her were simple, and she found her destination without any trouble. From the outside, Larvid's shop didn't look like the kind of place one would choose to conduct illegal business. It was situated in the middle of the street, and its window boasted the same official government seal she had noticed on virtually every building she'd passed along the way. She stepped into Larvit's store and made a quick evaluation of her surroundings. It looked like a cross between a pawn shop and a supply post. The tall, gray-haired man behind the counter was wearing a red shirt and black pants, both freshly pressed. On his left shoulder were several bars that probably represented some kind of military rank, and the left breast pocket was emblazoned with the same symbol that adorned his window. Mitra had expected to find herself in a shady black market operation, but clearly she was in some kind of official government-controlled business. Still, she had nowhere else to go, so she marched straight up to the gray-haired man and dumped a handful of gems on the counter. Please present your Imperial Identification Co- He started to say, but the routine greeting died in his mouth when he saw the small fortune scattered across his countertop. His eyes went wide, first with greed, 
and then with fear. Leaping from behind the counter, he rushed to the front of the shop and quickly closed and locked the door. What do you think you're doing? He demanded in a low voice, peering through the window to see if anyone had noticed his sudden dash across the store. Mitra slowly brought her right hand up to the lightsaber hidden at her belt. I was told you're the man to see about business I want to keep off the record. I am, I am, Larvid assured her, regaining some of his composure. But you can't just toss your stuff out on the counter for anyone to see. What if an Imperial Inspector happened to wander in? Sorry, Mitra said. I didn't realize it was a big deal. Larvid snorted derisively. <laughs> Great, a subjugate. Here's a tip, Offworlder. Next time you visit Drummond Koss, learn the customs first. Mitra nodded and let her hand drop, but she remained vigilant. How did you find out about me? Larvid asked. Who sent you? Does it matter? Mitra replied. Larvid shook his head and made his way back over to inspect the stones still sitting atop the counter. Is this the full extent of your collection? He asked picking up one of the gems and bringing it up to his aging eye for closer inspection. It's as much as I'm willing to sell right now. <laughs> I understand, he said with a smile. Do you need the credits immediately, or can you wait a few weeks? What's the difference? I can offer more if you give me time to find the right buyer, he explained. Mitra shook her head. I don't have that kind of time. That is unfortunate. He said sympathetically. That will have to be reflected in the price, of course. Of course. I'm willing to offer 7,000 Imperial credits for the lot, he said, leaning back and crossing his arms to signify the price was non-negotiable. Mitra wasn't about to fall for such an obvious ploy. Even though she had no concept of what an Imperial credit was actually worth, she had done enough haggling in her day to know that this opening offer was merely a baseline. Twenty thousand, she countered, knowing it was a ridiculously high number. <laughs> Even if you could wait to find a buyer, I could never go higher than eighteen, he answered. I'll give you ten. Make it fifteen, and I promise I'll come to you first the next time I'm looking to deal. I'll give you twelve, he said, wagging a finger in her face. You won't find anybody else who'll go higher than eleven. I'll sell them for thirteen, and some information, she answered. What kind of information? I'm looking for someone. A friend. I need the name of a contact who knows how to find people. People that don't want to be found? I'd rather not say. The storekeeper crossed his arms again and stroked his chin thoughtfully. Make it twelve-five and we have a deal. I'll even set up the meeting. Ten minutes later, Mitra walked out of his establishment with 12,500 Imperial credits and an appointment to meet someone called Setchel in two days. Okay, this chapter starts off with T3 and Mitra arriving on Dromenkos. Mitra is trying to keep the ship steady as they enter the atmosphere. Remember, it is described as a planet of eternal storms and darkness. Not a place that I would want to go visit. As she landed her ship, she could feel the power of the dark side. Now, if you spent your whole life trying to fight the pull of the dark side, then why would you go to a planet that is nothing but the dark side? This can't be good. 
She and T3 get out of the ship. She walks up to the dock master, and the lady asks for her credentials. Mitra tells the lady that she wants to keep her coming and goings off the record. The lady tells her that that will cost. Is it just me, or does every culture in the universe just have crooked officials? Mitra pulls out a stone and shows it to the lady. The lady gets excited as she glares at this diamond. Mitra tells her that she needs to convert the stone into some money. Then using the force and the fact that they're both humans to push the lady to agree to help her. Then she asks if there's someone that might be able to help her in the selling of her stone. The clerk tells her that she's a CLR. He will give her a fair price. Instead of catching a spreeder to leverage shot, she decides to walk. She wants to get a feel for the Sith society. As she walks, she sees a lot of people wearing slave shot collars. That's was something that we found out earlier in the book, that the Sith still practice slavery. Mitra can't stand slavery. As she comes up on Larva's location, Mitra knows all kind of government emblems on the shop. This makes her feel a little bit nervous. Uh, yeah, I would think this would make you feel nervous. I would think this was a whole setup. But she walks in and she pours the gems right out on the table. Then Larva sees the stones and he runs and shuts the curtains to the shop. Then he looks out the curtains to make sure that no one had seen him close the curtains that fast. He tells Mitra that she can't do that. She just can't walk in. What if an Imperial inspector or somebody was walking by? Then he tells her that he would give her 7,000 Imperial credits for all the stones. Now, I have no idea what an Imperial credit is worth. I have bought two diamond rings in my life, one for my ex-wife and one for my wife now. And diamonds aren't cheap. So if the dock officer was that impressed with the size of one stone, that diamond alone was probably worth that. But she knows that this is a low ball offer. She has bartered enough to know that the first offer is always low. She counters with 20,000. He states that the most that he could go is 10. She says 13 and some information. After they go back and forth for a few more minutes, they settle on 12,500 Imperial credits and a meeting with someone named Setro. Here we go with Setro again. I really don't like this guy. He just seems like a snake to me. So let's see what happens next. Mitra was surprised by the high-class atmosphere of the Nexus room. Over the past two days, she'd come to learn that Imperial society was all about status, caste, and class. Clearly, her contact was a being of significant rank. She was greeted at the door by a young human male wearing expensive clothes and a prominently displayed slave collar. Larvet must have provided a description of her because he seemed to know who she was. Welcome to the Nexus Room, the young man said, casting his gaze respectfully to the ground. Master Setchel is expecting you. In Mitra's eyes, slavery was one of the most vile and despicable practices in the galaxy. The Republic had officially condemned slavery, though she knew it still existed under euphemisms like indentured service or lifelong personal attendant. And on hot-controlled planets, which were outside Republic jurisdiction, individuals were openly bought and sold like chattel. But somehow, what she had encountered on Dromund Kos seemed much worse. In the Sith Empire, Slavery was a societal institution, governed by laws and regulations, and seemingly accepted without question by the citizens. Slaves were symbols of rank. The wealthy and powerful used them as status symbols to be paraded out in front of their peers. There was an abject hopelessness in the eyes of the slaves. They were condemned to a lifetime of servitude with no chance of freedom. Even on hot worlds, slaves could at least dream of one day escaping to the Republic and starting a new life. But in the Sith Empire, slaves had nowhere to run. Every planet would condemn them. At best, an escaped slave would be returned to a wrathful owner or claimed by a new one. Multiple escape attempts were met with public execution. 
a slow and agonizing death, according to what Mitra had seen in the official records from Nathema. Forgive me, mistress, the young man said, bowing low and folding his hands together in a universal gesture of supplication. But droids are not allowed inside the club. Wait here, T3, Mitra said. Her voice was sharp as she fought to contain her outrage at the young man's circumstances. Unfortunately, the slave thought her barely contained anger was directed at him, and he began to tremble. She could see the terror in his eyes, and she could only imagine what punishments he would be subjected to if he offended a guest of the club. But he no doubt faced even worse consequences if he were to violate the rules and let T3 accompany her inside. She didn't dare offer him any words of comfort. She couldn't do anything that might draw attention to herself. So she simply had to let the young man suffer, silently hoping his mental anguish would quickly pass once she went inside. Please, follow me, he stammered. Still trembling, he had led her to a table in the back where a Sith in expensive courtier's clothes was already seated. She could tell by his appearance, and even by the way he sat, that he was more diplomat than warrior. There was something soft and supple about his appearance. His muscles were not well-defined, and he didn't seem to possess the physical self-awareness common among those who relied on their martial skills to survive. He was clearly part of the aristocracy. Mitra made a mental note not to underestimate him. What he lacked in physical prowess, he probably more than made up for with intellect and cunning. Setchel dismissed the young slave with a disparaging flick of his wrist, then motioned for her to sit down at the table in the chair across from him. As she did, he flashed a well-practiced smile, and she noticed something odd about his face. In addition to their red skin, the Sith were marked by fleshy tendrils that dangled from cheeks and chin. On Setchel, two of the tendrils were disfigured stumps. It appeared as if they might have been cut off. She pulled her focus away from his cheeks and up to his eyes, lest he catch her staring at his deformity. Love, it tells me, you are looking for someone, Setchel said, jumping right to the matter at hand. He said you could help me find him, Mitra replied. For the right price, I can find almost anyone, Setchel assured her. And I happen to know you have more than ample funds to cover my costs. I see Larvit does not believe in discretion when it comes to discussing business matters, Mitra grumbled. If you didn't want him to discuss the terms of your deal, you should have negotiated that into the price, Setchel replied. Shall I assume you want our discussions to remain private? Mitra nodded, wondering how much of a premium that would be. Tell me about the person you are looking for. I'm looking for a Sith. Mitra wasn't foolish enough to admit she was looking for Revan. Without knowing who had taken him or why, even bringing him up would be too great a risk. Thanks to T3's hollow recording, however, she knew what the Sith who had captured him looked like. Hopefully, if she could find his abductor, he might lead her to Revan. Does this Sith have a name? He probably does, but I don't know what it is. Ah, progress, Setchel said clapping his hands together and rubbing them in anticipation. Now we know he is male. Can you provide me a description? I can do better than that, she answered, 
pulling a personal hollow projector from one of her pockets. She flicked a switch, and it displayed a still image she had copied from T3's hollow recording. The image was carefully cropped to remove all traces of Revan or the Ebon Hawk, leaving only a close-up of the Sith who had taken him. Setchel's reaction to the image was so subtle that Mitra almost didn't notice it. His eyes widened slightly in recognition, an instinctive, unconscious reaction. It lasted only a fraction of a second, and Mitra was impressed with how well he was able to hide his surprise. Interesting, the Sith said, pretending to study the picture. He appears to be a Sith Lord. That means I will have to charge extra. There was no doubt in Mitra's mind that Setchel knew exactly who the Sith Lord was, but she thought there was more benefit to playing along than calling him on his lie. I need to speak with him on an urgent matter. Perhaps if you tell me the nature of your business, it will help me track him down. Is he a friend? An enemy? Not a friend, exactly, Mitra said evasively. But certainly not an enemy. He has information about a private matter that I wish to discuss. Keeping information from me will make my job more difficult, Setcha warned her. It will drive up the price substantially. You already know I can pay, she reminded him. My business will remain private. If I do locate this being, what should I tell him? Mitra hesitated. She didn't know the exact nature of the relationship between Setchel and the mysterious Sith. If they were friends, he wouldn't simply tell her where to find him, not without warning him first. I would like you to set up a meeting between us, she said finally, hoping her answer was vague enough that Setchel might still suspect she didn't mean the other Sith any harm. A private meeting, yes? He asked with a smile. Mitra nodded. Very well, he said. I will try to locate him and offer to set up a meeting. Of course, I can make no promise that he'll agree to see you. It's in his best interest, Mitra said. I'm sure you can be very convincing. Certainly, but that also costs extra. Mitra sighed wearily. How much? Five thousand credits. Setchel proved to be a much shrewder negotiator than Larvit. He knew he had all the leverage. In the end, they settled on 4,000 credits, much closer to his opening offer than Mitra had originally intended. She rose to leave the table, then was hit by a sudden inspiration. How much to purchase the slave at the door? She asked. If she could buy the young man, she could give him his freedom. If you are interested in purchasing slaves, you'll find a much better selection in the city's central market, he assured her. I'm interested in him specifically, she said. Why? There was no mistaking the sudden suspicion in Setchel's voice, and Mitra knew she had misplayed her hand. I like his look, she said with a coy smile. You can hire his services by speaking with the concierge of the club, he said. That's something I'll have to look into, she said, her heart sinking as she realized she could do nothing for the young man now. Setchel wouldn't just forget about her unusual interest in an otherwise anonymous slave. If she did anything to help him win his freedom, it would certainly get back to Setchel, and she couldn't risk blowing her cover. Would you like me to have him escort you out? 
Setchell offered. Thank you, she said, grinning lasciviously. The young man was summoned to the table, and she could feel his fear at being singled out by the woman he thought he had offended earlier. He didn't speak as he led her to the door, where T3 was waiting for them. It was our pleasure to serve you, mistress, he said, his voice cracking. Everything was satisfactory, she said, her voice dripping with disdain and contempt. The slave bowed and backed away, obviously relieved at what he perceived to be a more normal reaction from a patron of the club. Once he vanished back inside, Mitra spun on her heel and walked away quickly, anxious to put the club behind her. T3 scurried to keep up, beeping out a question. We're getting closer, she promised him. Then she added, The sooner we're off this accursed world, the better. This part of the chapter starts off with Mitra meeting up with Setro at the Nexus room. She has found that Sith are all about the status. The rich and powerful were the ones in charge. So the Setro guy must be someone of high class to be meeting her in a club like this. As Doorman greets her, she realizes that he must be a slave. He's wearing a shot collar. He tells her that T3 can't come into the club. Droids are not allowed. Mitra tells T3 to wait outside. She doesn't mean to make the doorman feel bad, but her distaste for slavery gives him the impression that he has done something to insult her. He takes her into the club and sets her at the table with Setchel. As she is seated, she could tell that Setchel was high class, but not a Sith Lord by his feature. Too skinny, too scrawny. Then she noticed that two of Setchel's cheek tendrils are missing. Okay, right then, I would notice that the guy was a snake. I wouldn't believe anything that came out of his mouth. He must have met someone over for them to cut off his cheek tendril, but that's just the way I think. But Setra reveals the fact that Larry had told her how much money she had and that she was looking for someone. He asks her a few questions and then she answers them the best she can without revealing anything about Revan. Then she shows him a picture of Scourge. His reaction gives away the fact that he knows Scourge, but Mitra keeps her cool and acts like she doesn't notice. Setro tells her that the person that she is looking for is a Sith Lord and that will cost extra. Mitra tells him that he knows that she has the money. They talk a little bit more and Setro tells her that he can find almost anybody. Setro pushes to find out why she is looking for Scourge. She answers vaguely and asks him to set up a meeting between Scourge and her. After they discuss his fee, Mitra has an idea and asks if she could buy the slave at the door. Setro is like, why do you want him? With a suspicious look on his face. Mitra knows that she has messed up, but she wants to buy him to give him his freedom, but she can't tell Setro that. So she makes it seem like she wants to do something else with him. Setro is like, you can hire the services from the head of the club. Mitra realizing that there's nothing she can do for the young man. She says she'll have to look into that. Then Setro asks if she would like the young man to ask her out. Mitra says she would like that. As soon as she gets outside, she tells T3 that they need to hurry up and find Revan to get off this planet. Sounds like Mitra might let her feelings get in the way of her mission if she's not careful. For Jedi to be taught their whole lives that emotions are wrong, they often let them get in the way of their missions. But that's where we're at for this episode. You will have to tune in to Chapter 21 to find out what happens next. Hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.